All right, good morning, y'all. I'm so glad to see you. Thanks for being here this morning. A little birdie uh, by the name of Kelly told me that we have another graduate, Austin Whitmire, graduated from Clemson, right? And so we got one rep for the Tigers, Masters of Education. All right, so good job. Good job. Thank you to the birdie who spilled the beans on that. So uh, my first test for Jake as an elder was, how are you going to announce your own ordination? And I've, at first service, he totally forgot that it was an announcement, so he did better on the second time around. Really looking forward to tonight. I want to encourage you all to be here if you can. Uh, just really excited to celebrate uh, Jake, and uh, so I ask that you be here with us. Six o'clock will be a fun time. So we are in uh, wrapping up the book of Acts. We are in chapter 20 today. The series called Acts, the Church on the Move. Uh, I, I kind of used this phrase early on in the series and have kind of went away from it, but I want to bring it back, revive it here at the end. A good summary of the book of Acts, we see bold faith, we see intense opposition to the gospel, and at the end of the day, we see the explosive power of the gospel. Uh, I want to read you this quote from a guy whose name I love, W. Graham Scroggy, a great name, great quote, Christ is the theme, the church is the means, and the spirit is the power. And just as Andrew talked about this morning, you see the spirit at work getting the gospel to the ends of the earth throughout the book of Acts. Uh, last week, we were in chapter 19. Uh, what we saw was Paul's ministry in the city of Ephesus. He was on his third missionary journey. He spent three years in Ephesus teaching and preaching and discipling and building the church. And it said in Acts chapter 19 that all of Asia heard the word of the Lord uh, from Paul's time there. And so many believed, including those who practiced magic. And I want to, you see this verse on the screen we hit last week, Acts chapter 19, verse number 19. It says this, it says, a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And so some of you, if you maybe just made your way in here today and you're like, why is this church all about burning books? All right, I love books. I love to read. We were just referencing this passage where these new believers who formerly practiced magic, man, they burned their books. They were of no value to them anymore. But I love this phrase here in the end of verse 19. We really didn't touch on it a lot last week. But it says this, as they burned the books, they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So they were counting the cost. They were counting the value of what, what they were putting in the fire. And so I just want to ask you a question this morning, just a real practical question. Do you own anything valuable? Like, is there anything in your life that you would go, hmm, this is worth a lot? Um, you know, monetarily, uh, when I look at my life, I go, hmm, there's not a lot of things that I, that I own that, you know, would uh, make a pretty penny on eBay, I don't think. But when I think of the things that are valuable to me, they would be things that are more sentimental. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I was sitting in my office when I was thinking about this, and I just kind of was looking around my office, like, what do I, what do I have that's valuable to me? And I thought about my, my wedding ring. Um, I thought about the pictures of my my kids. Uh, I thought about this on the, my wall is this certificate of ordination, which I'm excited to be able to give one of those out tonight uh, as we ordain Jake. Um, but not a lot of like monetary valuable things in my life. And, and yet here's the reality is that all of us, every single day, we make choices that reveal the things that are valuable to us or what, what is most valuable to us. N not just in the way we spend our money, um, but the way we spend or invest our time, 
uh, the, the, the words that we speak, the emotional energy that we exert, we reveal every single day the things that are most valuable to us. And what I love about Acts chapter 20 is, is what we see is maybe more than anywhere else in scripture, I believe the heart of, of Paul. We, we get to see what he really truly values. And so today we're calling the sermon, What is Most Valuable? What is most valuable will be in Acts chapter 20. And let me just kind of bring us up to speed. Coming off of chapter 19, we move into chapter 20. Um, Paul is, is making his return trip. Actually, he's, he's ultimately going to Jerusalem, um, but he, he, he makes his way through, back through Macedonia and Greece, encourages the churches there. Um, he, he detours through Troaspens a week there. Here's, here's your, probably your last map that you'll see in the book of, of Acts since we're wrapping up next week. Um, he ends up in a place called uh, Miletus, which is the seaport town in Asia Minor. It's about 30 miles south of, of Ephesus. So he bypasses going back to Ephesus uh, and he lands in Miletus and when he lands here what he does is he calls the elders from the church in Ephesus uh, to come uh, to him in Miletus and what essentially we see take place in Acts chapter 20 is is this farewell speech from Paul to these Ephesian elders and so uh, it's a very appropriate place for us to land today as we're getting ready to ordain an elder uh, there's a lot of things we learn about uh, leadership in the church from Acts chapter 20 uh, in fact uh a few months ago when we were talking about leadership in the church, uh, I, I wish we could have spent a whole Sunday just uh, landing in Acts chapter 20, but apparently the Lord wants us to save that for today. Uh, so we'll learn a lot about the church when, when you look at this, but really what I want to see is, is the example of Paul. Uh, and, and we'll see that in Acts 20. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to uh, open that up to Acts 20. If you would stand with me, this is God's word, this is truth, this is life, this is his revelation of himself to us. And so we're going to read God's word together, Acts chapter 20. We're going to read verses 17 through 38. It says this, Now from Miletus he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But, verse 24, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood." 
I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we had said all these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is God's word. And would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, again, I just want to say thank you for the truth of your word. Uh, Thank you for your spirit that leads us into and guides us into all truth. Uh, Lord, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. And Lord, as we look into Acts chapter 20, I pray like every week that you would open our hearts and our minds, uh, our ears to whatever it is that you want to say to us. Uh, God, would you do a work in this place and in each of our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Why don't you have a seat? Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. So Paul in this chapter gives this incredible exhortation to elders. Um, But the scene is really in many ways mostly about Paul's example, that the example that he has lived. Paul's life has been a great example, not just for elders, all right, but for for believers, all believers, even for, you know, as I was reading through this passage, I thought, man, this is a great example of how to live for graduates, Paul's life is a great example. We we might say it this way. Paul was a godly example because he lived according to godly values. Paul was a godly example because he lived according to godly values. And so what I want us to see in Acts chapter 20, I think what Paul makes clear is what was most valuable to him. So here's the first thing that was most valuable to Paul. It was incarnating the gospel with his life, incarnating the gospel with his life. So the word incarnate means, means to uh, embody in the flesh, right? We think of, of Jesus, he is God incarnate, God in the flesh. He, he, he gives us an idea of what God looks like with, with skin on, right? And this is what Paul did with the gospel, is he wanted to incarnate the gospel with his life, that people could look at his life and understand the goodness and the grace of God by, by looking at his, his life, his way of life. If you look at verse 18, it's, it says this, when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you. The whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, we see the genuine faith of Paul. He says, listen, you, you've seen me for three years up close. You've, you've watched me. You've li- I've lived among you. You've seen my way of life. You've seen my genuine faith. He wasn't just a talking head on the stage. Okay, he wasn't just a sage on the stage. He wasn't just a preacher on a platform. He was real and up close. They saw his faith lived out. He says, you've seen it. You know my faith. He had genuine faith. 
You've seen my life up close. This is important. You've seen me up close and over the course of years. Proximity, up close, and time, over the course of years. And there was no way he could fake his passion or love or faith in the Lord over up close and over the course of years. So what was valued to him? Incarnating the gospel. It's genuine faith. We see that. We see his servant heart. Verse number 19. He said, you've seen me serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So everything that he did, it was, it was to serve the Lord and it was in humility. It wasn't about him. It was about the benefit of the people he was, was serving. He wasn't half-hearted. He, he did this with passion and perseverance. He said, I serve the Lord with all humility, with tears. We see it later on. He says, for Three years, day and night, man, I admonished you. He served with passion and with perseverance through trials. This was his heart. We see down in verse 22 and 23, we see his faithful obedience. Verse 22, now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, or bound in the Spirit. I'm compelled. The Spirit is leading me in this direction. But, but look what he says at the end of that verse. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. He says, I'm compelled. He's spirit-led, right? He's following the spirit wherever he leads him, even though he has no idea what's going to happen to him. All right, so this, this book that I love, Just Do Something, uh, that we're, we've, we're giving these graduates, it's about finding the will of God, and there's been all kinds of uh, Christian um, you know, real estate given to like finding God's will for your life. Um, and the great thing about this book is that it just kind of talks about, hey, just follow the Lord. Be obedient to him. Do what he's called you to do. God's not in the business of revealing to us all of our future steps, right? And Paul wasn't waiting like, God, show me what I'm supposed to do. No, he moved and he followed the Spirit, even though he didn't know what was going to take place. He was faithfully obedient to go where God called him to go. The only thing that Paul knew, and you see this all throughout Acts, the only thing he knew, he says it in here, is that everywhere he goes, there's going to be imprisonment and afflictions. That's all, that's all he knew about the steps ahead. But he was obedient, faithfully obedient to follow the Spirit of God wherever he took him. His attitude was this. I don't need to know where I'm going as long as I know who's going with me. The Holy Spirit is going with me and taking me. And so he was faithfully obedient. We see also, if you drop down to uh, verses 33 through 35, we see he was hardworking and he was generous. Verse 33, I, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands, he's talking about his own hands, ministered to my necessities, provided for my needs and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, sometimes I think about this phrase in our culture, um, like maybe this is true of you or has been a true of you that, man, I live to work. Like I love that coin. I love like increasing my position and my reputation and, and, and my career and all that advancing in that. And we would probably as followers of Jesus go, well, that's not the best way to live. Not, don't live to work. And we might think that a more virtuous way to live is, is work 
to, to live, right? I work so that I can live and, and whatever, but th that wasn't even the mindset of Paul. It wasn't live to work or work to live. It was work to give. It was work to give. The reason he worked was so that he could be generous with what God had given to him. This was the example of Paul's life. Not to get ahead, not to survive, but to help others. He was hardworking, he was generous, and, and, and he, in doing all of these things, in his genuine faith, his, his servant heart, his faithful obedience, hardworking and generous, these were all embodying the gospel of God's grace. He was showing people what it looked like to live for Jesus and to follow Jesus. This was his example. He, 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 what was valuable to him was that people would see the gospel through his life incarnating the gospel. But here's a second thing that was so valuable to Paul. It wasn't just incarnating the gospel. It was imparting the gospel to others, imparting the gospel to others. And there's, there's a few, few words that we see here, starting in verse number 20. He uses the word declaring and teaching and testifying, declaring and teaching and, and testifying. His, his goal was, was not just to proclaim the gospel, but to impart it, to help people understand it and receive it and live by it and grow in it, to impart the gospel. Look, look at verse number 20. He says this, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I don't know if y'all noticed this as we read through that passage. Twice he uses that exact same phrase where he says, man, I did not shrink back. I didn't shrivel or, you know, avoid this. I didn't shrink back from declaring to you. Verse number 20, he says, declaring anything that was profitable. All right, so I didn't hold back from declaring in anything to you that was going to help you anything that was going to benefit you. And then in verse number 27, same phrase. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So let me pause there for a second because this is an important phrase uh, in, in the vocabulary of Paul. He says, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You know what he was referencing? He was saying this, all of God's redemptive plan. There was, there was nothing that I left out. I didn't just talk about the easy parts. All right, I didn't just skip over the difficult or the offensive or the unpopular parts. No, because if I had done that, I would be, I would be shrinking back and not giving you what was profitable for you. And he says, I didn't shrink back from that. I didn't back away. I didn't skip over. Uh, man, I gave you the whole counsel of God. And I realize it's, there's some irony there in the fact that, uh, that I this morning have skipped over the first part of Acts chapter 20. Uh, if you know the story, it talks about a guy named Eutychus who uh, was, uh, was a young boy who was listening to Paul preach. And Paul, it says, preached so long. You all don't know what that's about. Uh, he just pre kept preaching on and on and on into the night and through the night even. The service started in the evening, but he was preaching and preaching. Eutychus is this young boy like who was on the windowsill, apparently it was stuffy in the room. He needed some air, so he's hanging out on the windowsill and was getting a little drowsy. And through Paul's preaching, he fell out of the window three stories up and ended up dying. Um, and then Paul revives him and brings him back to life. And everyone's, oh, praising the Lord. And it's exciting. And uh, I decided to skip that portion because I didn't want to preach the whole counsel of God. I didn't want you all to think one of these days we're all going to fall over dead if Pastor Andrew doesn't shut his mouth. Um, but this is Paul. He preached the whole counsel of God. I want to encourage you to read that story. It's a great story in Acts chapter 20. 
But this was, this was what Paul wanted to do, to declare to them the whole counsel. He imparted the gospel. Look at verse number, uh, verse, back to verse 20. I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you, teaching you. So declaring, teaching to you in public and from house to house. In public, from house to house. In public and in private. We saw him do it in public in, uh, in Ephesus, in the synagogue, in the school of Tyrannus. But he also, house to house, it was up close, it was personal. I declared to you, I taught you the gospel. Look at, back at verse number 21. He says, testifying, testifying, declaring, teaching, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks. In other words, he testified uh, to everyone. Uh, it, regardless of who they were, no prejudice uh, there, testifying to everyone, Jews and Greeks. What did he testify of? Verse 21, uh, of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So his message, what he was testifying to is repentance toward God. So repentance is a change of mind, a change of direction. So changing our mind about the direction we're going, that we're not going our own way anymore. We're turning away from our sin and from our own way towards faith in Christ. I'm going to follow him and I'm going to give him my life. I'm going to do what we sung about this morning, surrender all and follow him. So this is the message. This is what he was wanting to impart to others. Uh, verse number 24, he, he again uses that word testify. He says at the end of verse 24, this is my ministry. This is the course that God has me on to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This may, this may be the best description, honestly, of the gospel. is the gospel of the grace of God. Grace is the unmerited, uh, undeserved favor of God. Nothing we do that could earn it, deserve it. In fact, we deserve the complete opposite. We deserve judgment. We deserve, deserve wrath. And yet the grace of God has said, I will forgive you. I will cleanse you. I will wash you if you put your faith in me. Repentance and faith. This is the, the, the gospel of the grace of God. Y'all, this is good news that salvation is by God's grace alone. You couldn't deserve it or earn it, which means you couldn't lose it. It's a gift of God. This is the good news. And this was what Paul with his life said, man, I've received it. I want to give it away. I want to impart the gospel to others. I'm not just preaching a message. I'm getting up close and I want to impart it into their lives. So what was valuable to Paul? Uh, it was incarnating the gospel. It was imparting the gospel to others. Here's the third, third thing is caring for the flock, caring for the church, caring for the people of God. And so what you see here is we see this, this incredible exhortation. We see in verse number, and I just want to point out the, the words here. Verse number 17, he calls the elders to him. And when you drop down to verse 28, as he's addressing them, he calls them overseers. And so one of the things we talked about earlier this year is that in the New Testament, we have three terms that refer to one office, pastor, elder, overseer, all right? And you see that at play here. The elders are also called overseers. Um, but what we see from Paul is, is this care for the church. Now, verse 28 is an incredible, like, packed verse, and we're gonna, I'm going to save that a little bit for tonight uh, during our elder ordination, so I hope you come back for that. Um, but I want us to see 
Paul's care for the church and his care for even the elders, the leaders. Look back at verse number 28. He says this to the elders, pay pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And, And here's the phrase I want us to see, to care for the church of God. I want you to care for the church of God, elders, leaders. This is your primary concern, care for the the flock. Verse number 28, he he uses uh, this term, actually verse 29. He talks about fierce wolves who are gonna come in among you, not sparing the flock. I want you to protect the flock. Verse 30, they're gonna come in, they're gonna attempt to draw away the disciples after them. And so Paul cared about the church. He cared about the people that these wolves were gonna gonna come come in and try to pull them away and draw them away from the simplicity of the gospel, from Christ. And so he cared for the people. He cared for the church. He cared for the leaders. He he says again in verse 28, pay careful attention, not just to the flock, but to yourselves. Pay attention. Be alert. Verse 31, be aware of what's going on. Verse 32, he says this, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You know what he's saying? He's saying to these elders, listen, okay, I'm leaving you, but I'm commending you. I'm entrusting you to God and to his word, which is sufficient, which is able to build you up. He loves them. He loves these people. He loves the church. He entrusts them to God. And so it's clear, when you, when you read Paul through Acts chapter 20, it's clear that Paul was, Paul was a shepherd. He was a, a discipler. He was an equipper. He loved his people. He loved the church dearly. So much so, he saw the value in the church was, was this. We saw it earlier. He says, Christ obtained the church with his own blood. And so if Jesus values the church in that kind of way. How could I ever devalue what Christ has died for? And so he cared for the church. He cared deeply about this community. And I think for some of us in 2023, that's such a foreign idea. Because in our culture, in our day and age, church is an event, right? It's an optional activity people that come or, you know, we call them attenders. Involvement is optional. It's marginal sometimes. Giving and serving are, are only for the elite Christians, right, is sometimes how we view this. But you know what? Like back then, man, Paul didn't know any such idea or conception of the church. It was like when you put your faith in Jesus, you became part of the church. You were part of the family of God. It was a privilege. It wasn't an option. You just, man, you wanted to give your life to this movement, the way. It was integral to life. It was a blessing, a privilege to be a part of. There was nothing half-hearted about it. This was Paul's heart for the church that Jesus died for. And so what was valuable to Paul? It was incarnating the gospel with his life so others could see up close what the gospel looked like embodied in the flesh, incarnating the gospel, imparting the gospel to others. I don't just want to proclaim it to you, man. I want to build the gospel into your life. I want you to grow in it. And this third thing, caring about the church, caring for the flock, the people of God. These were the things that I see that were so valuable 
to Paul. But you may have caught a verse in there. You may have caught a verse, verse 24. What was not valuable to Paul was his own life. Did you see that? Verse 24. Let's, let's look back at it. He says this. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, he was like an accountant here. He's, he's counting the cost and he's saying, mm, my life. Listen, Paul wasn't, uh, he didn't have a death wish. He wasn't suicidal, but when he counted the value of his life, he said, mm, I'm just, my life, I'm just a messenger. I'm just a vessel to get the gospel of the grace of God to others. And when I'm done doing that, when God's done using me to do that, I'll die. But this is what my life is all about. In fact, he said it in a pretty powerful, profound way in Philippians chapter 1. When he writes to the Philippians, he says it this way. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage. Now, as always, here it is. Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, if I continue living, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. I can't make up my mind what I would rather do. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress in joy in the faith. He said, my life, man, it's not precious to me. I'm not clinging to my life or any of my stuff. What is most important to me, what is most valuable to me is that in my body, Christ would be glorified. Christ would be honored. Christ would be magnified, whether it's by life or if it's by death. Whatever the cost, what is most valuable to me is that I would glorify the Lord. This was the heart of, of Paul. And so how, how, do we, how do we live in light of, of all of this? Let me just ask you a question. And again, this might be like last week where this is just an ongoing question for, for you and for me to wrestle with. What is most valuable to you? What is most valuable to you? There's a lot of things that are valuable to you, and you can make an inventory, and it'd be easy to do that, to list that out. But what is most valuable to you? Philippians 1, I'm going to go back there for one second. A couple of verses later, Paul says something that, that I think is, again, pretty profound. He says, Philippians 1, verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. He's talking about having a life that incarnates the gospel. Like, let me ask you, when you think about your life, is, is that important to you? Is that valuable to you that your life would reflect the gospel of grace? Is, is it valuable to you that you could impart that truth, the truth of God to others? Is that valuable to you? Is the church of God valuable to you? 
Those were the things that were so valuable to Paul. And I would ask the question, is, are those things valuable to us as a church, as a community, the glory of God, the gospel, are those things valuable to us? How much more could we be used by God if, 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 if we didn't care about our reputation, if our life wasn't precious to us, our agenda, our comfort, our pleasure, our long-term, our long-range goals. And I think this is why, uh, and this is not a plea for those of you that are single, to, to remain single, but I think this is why Paul stayed single. I think this is why Paul stayed single. In 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about this, about the difference between being married and unmarried. If you're married, he says, man, you, you give your attention to pleasing your spouse and your family. He says, but for me, Paul says, being unmarried, I have one sole focus. How may I please the Lord? Now, again, I'm not, I'm thankful for marriage. I'm thankful for my wife. Okay, I'm not calling you to be single uh, or get single, all right? It's a blessing from the Lord. Um, but Paul was able to devote all of his heart and all of his energy toward that. And I think whether you're married or unmarried, we can say the most valuable thing in my life is to honor Christ and embody the gospel, impart the gospel to others. And I just want to share with you for a second um, a point of application for me. At the, at the risk of sounding selfish or self-centered or, I don't know, self-righteous, I'm going to take a risk this morning and share a point of application for me from this chapter. Uh, because I've loved this chapter for, for a long time. There's a lot of uh, encouragement and exhortation for me as an elder, as a pastor, that I take from this. Um, but there's also the example of Paul that, that, I, that I, I love uh, from this, this passage. I look at Paul and I go, man, he's, he is a model uh, disciple to, to pattern my life after. But I think the, the one thing beyond just the exhortation to elders, beyond uh, the example of Paul's life, the thing that most, uh, is most impactful to me, kind of the takeaway for me is, is the last three verses of, of this passage, the impact of Paul's life and ministry on these Ephesian elders. And so I just want to read it to you. Verses 36 through 38, he says this, it, it's, the scripture says this, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. I remember in the King James, uh, it says they kissed his neck. So it's this affection that gathered around him. They kissed him, they embraced him. Verse 38, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him into the ship. I just look at the evidence of his impact in this moment. Like what, what was it about Paul that in this farewell, like this isn't just a see you later. This isn't just like a salute, like I'll catch you next time around. This is, I'm not going to see your face again. You're not going to see my face again. This is the last time. And so this farewell address for, for them to gather around him and to embrace him with tears and with sorrow, what was it about Paul's life that, that elicited that kind of reaction? Well, y'all, this, this doesn't happen apart from a deep, deep investment of his life in those people, right? I can think of people who have left this church where I was, I was sad, I was deeply grieved. There was others who have left this church that I, I wasn't. <laughs> that, that sounded harsh. Um, but you know what I'm saying? 
um, the people that we grieve leaving are the people who have invested deeply, that there's this close connection. There's an investment of life. There's an investment of, of the word of, of God. This kind of farewell doesn't happen unless you've invested deeply in people. Tears and, and, and embrace and, and sorrow. And so when I think about this for me, the way I've tried to live my life, and I don't think this is exclusive to, to just a pastor or elder. I think this can be true of any of us. When I think about this passage, I think about the impact of Paul's life on those people. I want to live my life in such a way that if I have to say farewell, if I have to say goodbye, if I have to leave a place or leave a church, and that's not on the table, by the way, I just want to say that. Y'all are stuck with me for a while, Lord willing, okay? Um, I didn't set Jake up for an ordination tonight so I could sleep, sneak out the back door. Good luck, Jake. Uh, I plan on being around for a while, um, but I want to live in such a way that if I ever, ever have to say goodbye, people grieve. And that may sound, I don't know, selfish or self-centered, but I, I want people to grieve, not because, oh, I'm going to miss your preaching or like you were, the, you were fun or you were funny or you were the most impressive fill in the blank. No, I want people to grieve because I know them well and I've loved them well and I've invested deeply in their lives that it would impact them, that people would be sorrowful. Two days ago, uh, a pastor that I, I greatly admire, but never knew in person, his name is Tim Keller. You've heard us quote his name many times. Timothy Keller uh, died at age 72 after three years uh, fighting with pancreatic cancer. Uh, and I, got to, I saw that yesterday, and uh, I've been, it's kind of broken my heart. And I didn't know him, never spoken to the man, but his ministry impacted me so, so deeply. I would credit him with helping me understand the, the depth of the gospel. Uh, and he left to go home to be with the Lord. And I praise the Lord. I rejoice over that. But man, it, it brings me sorrow. I want to live, y'all. And I want you to live in such a way that when you say goodbye, people notice because of the impact you've had on them. Because you've been a living testimony of the goodness of God's grace. Because even beyond that, you've imparted the gospel to them. You've cared about the church of God. That's what I want for us, y'all. That's what I want for my life. I want to have that kind of impact. And so when we think about Paul, I know it's easy to look at the example of Paul and to be intimidated and go, man, Paul seems like this super Christian, man, that he would give his life for the gospel. And he, would, he would travel thousands of miles over years to spread the gospel to people. He would go through uh, imprisonment and afflictions everywhere he went. Like, man, he is a super Christian. I could never be like Paul. And I just want to end this morning by reminding you that Paul was human and Paul was flawed. He was a sinner. I want to remind you of the story of Paul that he was jacked up, but God transformed him by his grace. God transformed him by his grace. Paul was desperately need of that rescuing grace that he preached, that he that he declared, that he taught, that he testified to, that he gave his life to. Paul needed that grace. You need that grace. I need that grace. And so may the grace of God 
be the most valuable thing to us. Amen. And Lord, I thank you for that grace. We've sung about it this morning. We've seen it in the life of Paul. We've seen it through his message, through his life. God, we, your people, have experienced the grace of God, unmerited, undeserved favor. It's beyond what we could ever produce. It's beyond what we could ever earn. And yet it's yours, it's ours. You have given it to us. So Lord, thank you for the gospel of grace that we proclaim. Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue to count the cost and to to weigh the things that are valuable to us. God, may your grace, may your gospel be the most valuable thing to us. Lord, we love you. We worship you this morning because of your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.